in civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. So I'm working as a CA guy in a unit somewhere in the United States in a reserve component. And there's an active duty CA guy that needs some help. And he's posted on the, the talent management marketplace his requirements and CA guys uh, get a tickler through the email that says there's a new requirement here. They can go look at it and say, hey, I'd like to do that. They can virtually link up and get a virtual job. Hi, and welcome to the One CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we're joined by Dr. E. Casey Wardinsky. Dr. Wardinsky was confirmed by the United States Senate on 2 January 2019 and assumed duties of the Assistant Secretary for the Army, Manpower and Reserve Affairs, also known as ASA MNRA. As Assistant Secretary, he was responsible for the supervision of manpower, personnel, and reserve component affairs for the Department of the Army, and is the principal advisor to the Secretary of the Army for policy and performance oversight of human resources, training, readiness, mobilization, military health affairs, force structure, manpower management, equal opportunity, equal employment opportunity, marketing, and other critical matters. Prior to this role, he served as the CFO and CEO of Fish Technologies, CFO of Aurora Colorado Public Schools, and superintendent of Huntsville, Alabama City Schools. Mr. Wardinsky served in the Army for 30 years. He was a special weapons officer in Germany, the United States, and Korea, and served for 10 years as an associate professor of economics at the United States Military Academy. As director of the Army's Office of Economic and Manpower Analysis, Mr. Wardinsky provided policy analysis and led policy execution for senior Army leaders in areas ranging from marketing to officer retention to talent management. He created the award-winning game, America's Army, through which millions of young adults virtually explore soldiering and the virtual Army experience, which became the foundation for Army engagement at live events. Dr. Wardinsky developed the pre-commissioning career satisfaction program and co-authored the Strategic Studies Institute's series toward an officer core strategy for success, which serves as a starting point for Army talent management. Dr. Wardinsky is a 1980 graduate of the U.S. Military Academy. He holds a Master of Public Policy degree from the JFK School of Government at Harvard University and a PhD in Policy Analysis from the Frederick Pardee Rand Graduate School. Assistant Secretary Wardinsky, welcome to the 1CA podcast. Thank you. Sir, it's a pleasure to have you on. You have years of experience uh, in uniform and now through the ASA MNRA position for the Army. And today's discussion will focus on modern talent management system for the Army and how it relates to CA forces. But before we do that, I'd like to ask first about your interactions with civil affairs. So either during your time in uniform or since then, when have you interacted with CA and could you describe those situations? Sure. Uh, I think my major interaction with CA was probably in the uh, 2007-8 time frame. And it was uh, actually within the um, uh, kind of rubric of applying the America's Army game, which you had mentioned, to CA purposes uh, overseas in areas like Iraq and Afghanistan. Turns out uh, electronic gaming, video games are popular around the world. 
and CA saw that it could be a useful tool in um, communicating with the, the local population in, uh, in Iraq. Uh, and so the team I led, um, while I was director of the Army Game Project and director of the Office of Economic Manpower Analysis, we, we supported the CA folks in developing a concept and then actually delivering a product that was uh, used, in the, I think particularly in Iraq, to uh, communicate with young adults over there about uh, perhaps uh, aligning their efforts with the establishment of a government, you know, that was representative and, you know, uh, aligned with their interests and the uh, scenario of uh, support, you know, your your government versus these other forces that are operating in your country that Al-Qaeda, you know, those folks in the, the Arabian uh, Peninsula. Right. And the the results apparently were very, very good. And uh, even though it was a free game, it, it was selling on the street for 36 bucks, which, you know, wow, pretty pretty steep price <laughs> for yeah. a free game. That is really and, cool. It's a neat idea. It's, it's innovative, and it, it sees uh, the trends of what's happening in the streets and, and how young men, young women are, are engaging with people. Would you consider yourself a gamer now, sir? Or, you know, now that you had the experience uh, helping to develop some technology, have you seen the value of gaming throughout DOD and on other areas of the Army now? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. When, uh, my kids, I had two boys that were big in gaming, you know, like most boys. Uh, I'm terrible at it, but, you know, I could see the value of it, and so that led to the work I did in creating the America's Army game. That was about 99 to 2000. We launched it in 2001, and it's still in service for the Army today. I think it's had probably, I don't know, 18-man users by now. And wow. uh, it really is kind of in the space of all of my work, which is uh, my, my main interest is usually uh, I'm an economist sort of by training. The Army paid for all that, sent me to Harvard and then sent me to Rand Corporation to get a Ph.D. But uh, the part of economics I like is where markets don't work right. And the game was designed to help in an area where markets weren't working right for the Army, which was recruiting. Talent management's about creating markets where there were none to help the Army operate better. And a lot of the work I do here in MNRA is is in the space of trying to fix gaps where there is no market for talent or there's no where we've got sort of funny incentives that cause the army to behave as if it's maybe uh, focus should be uh, short term rather than long term, and getting that rejiggered so we're paying attention to short, medium, and long term. Yeah, uh, that you know so that's it's, it's kind of lines up with those interests more than any gifts I have in the area of playing games. Okay. Well, you started to answer the next question I have uh, ready for you. What does talent management, or sorry, what does talent mean to the Army? And really now, why do we care about managing talent? Sure. Kind of maybe a long-winded answer here, but uh, most of what you see today in the talent management space, I, I would trace back maybe to around 1997 uh, work. And uh, 1997, the Army started discovering that it was uh, losing officers at very high rates, uh, much higher than it had in uh, previous years. And about that time, if you think back, you know, 1990s, you started seeing personal computing. Uh, the economy started transforming into what people now call the information uh, economy or information age. Uh, we're well into that now, right? The Army is catching up to the information age. Yeah. And that rejiggering really put a premium on information workers, which a lot of our officers our technical folks had those skills, and so they had a pretty powerful draw, <laughs> draw out of the Army and into the civil sector by the wages and opportunities that were being afforded by industry. And so we saw this accelerating uh, departure of folks. 
the outfit I ran, uh, uh, Office of Economic and Manpower Analysis at West Point, looked at these kind of things for Department of the Army, and uh, we began delving into it. By 2001, uh, we had identified that this was probably going to be a very significant problem for the officer corps and the Army, and uh, identified some things to do about it. General Maud at that time was Army G1. Uh, we briefed him on it. He was getting ready to do things in policy, and of course, uh, you know, the plane flew into the Pentagon that day, and General Maud was one of the folks we lost. Yeah. And we lost him. We lost about uh, two, three, uh, four years of progress. And by 2004, uh, General Hagenbach had come back from the war in uh, Afghanistan and was G1 and had seen on the ground problems that were unfolding with the officer corps in terms of high loss rates, kind of accelerated promotions were leading to very junior folks, uh, maybe not quite ready for their positions. Mm-hmm. He became G1, and that created an opportunity to revisit these topics. And uh, by 2007, the remedies we had identified, uh, Army put into policy, Secretary of the Army, Chief of Staff put into policy, and they were around the idea of creating incentives very early in an officer's career to make investments that would uh, support their uh, career well beyond their initial obligation. Okay. And those were things like picking their branch, picking their post, and then the big one was the opportunity to go off to grad school. The grad uh, school thing aligned with Take a with break like, and get a degree and come back. Army would pay, right? They'd take two years to go get their degree, stay in the Army, but uh, once they've done that, come back, uh, utilization in Army, and, and then it turned out in, in retrospect that program saved the Army about a billion and a half dollars and allowed us to get control of uh, the officer corps again. Uh, promotion rates by 2007 to major were up in the area of 97%, I think. Wow. Uh, today they're back at 80%. So we've got the ability to sort of meter who's going to advance to you know major, lieutenant, colonel, colonel, where we lost that ability in the 2007 to 2008 time frame. Uh, we didn't want to create like hollow year groups where everybody that remained had to be advanced whether they should be or not. So that, that these programs got that under control. Well, sending a lot of officers off to graduate school was the birth of talent management because that program said you can go for two years, any graduate school you can get into in the United States, any program, which was very different than previous approaches the Army had. Previously, the Army would say, you're going to this graduate school and you're getting this degree and your utilization will be, you know, in this unit doing this kind of work. Right. Uh, so for the very open end relevant to the Army. That's right. And so this very open-ended approach, which was really focused on uh, keeping officers in the Army, opened up a lot of opportunity. And that turned out to be pretty powerful because we could also detect what are Army officers interested in, right? What If they go to invest this degree opportunity, what are they doing? And where are they going? And uh, the Army had no way to capture that at that time because it was we managed everybody by grade and branch or functional area. And so we recognized we needed a talent management system in 2006. Uh, General Hagenbach uh, agreed, and that was the birth of talent management, really. And uh, the switch uh, to talent was born at the same time, and it was the notion that uh, up to that point, if you'd read our doctrine, a lot of it was very focused on competent officer corps, officers with these competencies. And we didn't feel that fit exactly right with the profession. Professions are funny things, you know, it's like the clergy, the law, medicine, the military, and right. each of those is connected with life, your spiritual life, your physical life, your the life of your liberties, and the life of your country. And uh, when you're dealing with life, 
you know, most people are given a choice. Would you like a competent doctor or a talented doctor? Say, uh, give me that talented guy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're in court for a serious offense, and I say, hey, we got a competent lawyer over here, or we got a very, you know, we got a talented right. lawyer, they're going to say, give me the talented lawyer. And I would argue that when our country is uh, on trial for the life of its liberties and freedoms, we want a talented officer corps. And, right. and the senior leaders agreed and said, yes, we want talent. And so that was the move to talent. And, and you can see where it's where it's, it's writ large today. Yeah. But those were kind of birthplaces for it. Well, congrats on making the progress. And um, let's touch on briefly, what are some of the steps that you and your team has taken? Uh, so you mentioned selecting a, uh, a duty station, right? Selecting what your job is going to be in the unit and then also going off to school. How right. Does that apply to the active army? Does that apply to the army reserve or the army national guard? Who's able to access what we have right now? Sure. Well, kind of where we are uh, first and then the vision of where we're headed. Uh, a lot of people have been working very hard on this for many, many years. So I retired in 2010 uh, at that point, General Dempsey and other folks had really decided to embrace this stuff. You know, General Odierno came along, embraced it. And most importantly, General McConville came along. And General McConville was the G1, and right. he really put his uh, foot on the gas pedal. And as vice, uh, he continued to do that. And now as chief, you can see he's elevated all this to uh, the first thing that he talks about and almost anywhere he goes, is people and talent management and the war for talent and winning matters. And, yeah. and I think when he talks about those things, they're all connected. Uh, so a lot of great work has happened. A lot of great people have led this effort. And where it's brought us today is we now have a, a marketplace approach for assignments for our active duty officer corps. We ran the first big market last fall. And uh, the way that unfolds is the folks who, uh, who own jobs, our battalion, brigade, and so forth uh, types of commanders, all the way up to positions like XO for the Chief of Staff and Secretary of the Army. They place those positions into this marketplace um, so that every officer who's eligible, which would be the right pay grades and so forth, can see it. When is, when it where is it? What is it? You know, what does it entail? Uh, on the other side of the equation, the officers can document all the things that they think are important uh, that they can do, their gifts, their talents, their knowledge, skills, and, and uh, behaviors, that align, and then they can engage in a discussion with the owners of the jobs. The owners of the jobs can engage with them. So a very different approach than the old assignment system oh, yeah. where, you know, it was command and control. And so the goal here is get better alignment of talent, real-time alignment of talent. But under the hood is I had talked about, you know, the things I get excited about, which, you know, I may be one of three people in the world to get excited about this stuff, but is fixing markets that don't work. And I'd argue that a market that did not work in the Army was there was no real incentive for an Army officer to tell the Army a whole lot because you never know what it was going to get you. Right. Um, and, and the Army actually has a pretty keen interest in like, well, what are you reading? What are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? Because uh, those all get at like what, what excites you, right? What are your passions? Right. Uh, it could be where do you go on vacation because that could tell us things like, hey, this guy's got some area expertise or this gal's got some area expertise. These are areas of the world they know something about and so forth. So we really want to know all that stuff. Uh, but why would an Army officer tell us that stuff, right, if it can't possibly benefit them in the ways that they can manage? And so this market lets them manage that because they can share their gifts and their passions and their attributes 
uh, and they get a vote in terms of do I ultimately accept this assignment or not. Yeah. And so it, it kind of creates some symmetry that did not exist before. And the reason we want all this stuff is we think it creates an asymmetric advantage for the United States. It probably would for our allies, too, if they chose to go down this road. Uh, but we believe it does for the United States because it's in our, it's kind of in our American DNA. Uh, people are on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they're doing podcasts, and they're sharing a lot of information about themselves with people that are strangers. And they do that because they believe that there's a trust-based system in which they're operating on Facebook or somewhere else that the information will be used in ways that they approve of. Right. So we're trying to create a trust-based system in the Army where the information our folks share with us, they can trust. It's going to be used in ways that they'll approve of and that will benefit them in addition to benefiting the Army in the United States. Uh, we don't think our enemies can do that. Uh, if you look at what goes on in China, uh, you know, if you they've got this social scoring system. If you spit on the sidewalk, you know, maybe you can't take a plane trip anymore. If you say something bad about the Communist Party, maybe you can't get health care anymore, wow. right? Uh, or, or even worse. So we don't think it's their the, that their culture is conducive to copying this. And uh, so the talents that their people have will remain hidden from their services and their government, whereas we hope to create a, a trust-based system where the talents our people have will be revealed, and they uh, and the Army can put those talents to work at the right place, right time, uh, that, that will be pivotal to achieving some outcome. So you can imagine how that affects civil affairs. Yeah, and civil time. affairs is actually a field where this is just talent, you know, just tailor-made. A lot of civil affairs folks are in the reserve component. Mm -hmm. They've got skills and gifts the Army has that probably doesn't even know that exist in the world, and certainly they don't know they exist in the officer corps. And so as we migrate from the active Army officer corps into uh, the Guard and Reserve, and, and the only thing holding us back there is delivery of uh, increment three of the integrated personal pay system, IPSA, and we're going to get that, I think, not this Christmas, but next. Once that's okay. online, all the stuff we're uh, working on right now with the active officer corps will be available to the guard, the reserve, to some extent the civilian side of the army, uh, and then up and down the ranks, too. It won't just be an officer corps thing anymore. And so there, it's going to change the nature of work for us, too. Uh, army is still kind of in the uh, ownership economy. You know, it, it, to work for somebody, they kind of own you, right? I mean, you get assigned to them. Right. And that's the world I grew up in. You know, if you want a house, you buy it. If you want a boat, you buy it. Right. Uh, if you want a car, you buy it. The younger generations, they're in the access economy. If I want a car, I call it Uber. Right. If I want a, a vacation home, I call it Airbnb. I don't need to own it. I just want access. So if we can do the access economy with our folks, you know, certainly you can still have an assignment. But even when you're assigned, we can envision TDY for somebody else, and even more importantly, virtual, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm working as a CA guy in a unit somewhere in the United States in a reserve component, and there's an active duty CA guy that needs some help, and he's posted on the, the talent management marketplace his requirements, and CA guys uh, get a tickler through the email that says there's a new requirement here. They can go look at it and say, hey, I'd like to do that. They can virtually link up and get a virtual job. Right. And the part we got to figure out is like the virtual OER thing so they get credit. 
and the virtual money thing. So if if there's effort expended, you know, we we got a way maybe to compensate them too. Right. Um, but again, just That'll think how different changer. that will be. It'll be a game changer. You're listening to the One Save Podcast, brought to you by the Civil Affairs Association. After a break, we'll come back and continue our conversation with Assistant Secretary Wardinsky. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. Hi, and welcome back to the One State Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. E. Casey Wardinsky, Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. And I guess a lot of it depends on how you're tagging up people's skills. I mean, obviously, you have, uh, you know, right now I'm a 30 at Alpha. I also have, I speak French. I have some other experience. So you need to be able to tag up someone's experience and skills and knowledge and everything else that they're interested in so you can match them appropriately. So That's right. are there some wizards on the back end who, uh, and civil affairs has the people who do network analysis, but are they doing essentially the same thing to figure out how Dr. Ward, Wardinsky's background fits with the job that you have and other people who are sort of tangentially related? Yeah, that's kind of proceeding in a couple uh, lines of effort. Uh, I'll give you an example how it unfolded in my world. Um, we created a new marketing, uh, an entirely new approach to marketing for the U.S. Army in Chicago. Uh, we had a great bunch uh, called the Army Marketing Brand Group, did a lot of great work for the Army. They were here in, the, in, in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, but times have changed. Um, we want to take a new direction, so we uh, sort of drew that down and at the same time created a different effort in Chicago, and it's very heavy in military. And we created a new functional area, 58, behavioral economics and marketing. Uh, not a huge one. I think it's going to have a total of 100 guys in it. But the first 35, I interviewed each one of them. And I never looked at the, I really never looked at the front of the ORB. I looked at the back of the ORB, which is where all this talent management information is. And it's all put there by the officer themselves. So yeah. it's narrative. So the coding uh, will come and we'll have to use AI and expert systems to take narratives and patterns of, uh, you know, education patterns of assignments and uh, perhaps put those into bins that might look like a coding. But, you know, for fields like CA, which are not huge, and for these functional areas, which have deep skills like the marketing one, that are not huge, you know, it's within the realm of the possible to look at the ORBs. And I did right. that. And, you know, I, I'd go through it and, like, I'm reading the back, and it's, here's an officer who sold Cutco knives to get through college. I'm like, okay, he managed to pay for college by being a salesman at Cutco knives. I want to talk to this guy. Yeah. And he turned out to be a guy we hired. Had another one that uh, somewhere buried in what he had talked about was just one word or two words. He said he used R in doing some of the work he does uh, to write a book he's writing. R is an open source statistical package 
that's free, that's kind of just like a package we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for uh, called SAS that we use in the Army. So here's a guy who's using a free open source thing to do something we spent a hell of a lot of money on, and he's doing statistical analysis to write a book. I'm like, okay, I want to talk to this guy. Love it. So you can see how granular this information could be. Um, and it's all self-professed by the Army officer, right. you know, which, which is an interesting thing because, you know, it's the Pentagon after all. And people yeah. in the Pentagon will say, well, hey, how do we know that self-professed attribute, uh, that talent, is actually real? And I'm like, well, suppose it's not. And I just hired, interviewed this guy because he knows all about R, and we get in the interview, and I ask him a few questions about R, and it's clear he doesn't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how's that going to go, right? 99.9% of our Army officers, if they say they can do some, they can probably do it. Right. And if, if, if they overstate their capacities and they show up, I mean, it's not going to be pretty. So right. there's a strong disincentive to doing that. So I don't need like a certificate on everything they say they can do. And, and when they get a job based on this, if it doesn't go well, it's going to show up in their OERs. Or part of the town management system is the guy that's looking to hire you can link to your peers or your previous bosses and say, hey, this guy looks great on paper. I talked to him. He looks great. Uh, I'm going to hire him. And, and he says he knows all about R or he knows all about uh, being a salesman. What was your experience? Guy? Well, I never saw that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? The same way that we review restaurants or the same way yeah. that LinkedIn works. You, know, you self-profess sure. what you think you know what you can do, but other people can yeah. check up on that. Yeah. And of course, if you're the officer who wants to work for this colonel, and the colonel says, I'm a hell of a developer. You know, everybody works for me. Uh, you know, they do well in their life. And I spend a lot of time helping them and mentoring them. And so you reach out to your buddy or, or some officer who worked for him. And you link to him and say, hey, uh, this guy looks like a hell of a developer. Was that your experience? I'm like, that was not my experience. Yeah. <laughs> His nickname was The Torch. Right. Right. <laughs> right? That'll take positive. care of itself, too. Right. Yeah. So it, it works on both sides of the equation, which is that symmetry we're hoping to create to build a trust-based system that benefits the officer and the Army and therefore the United States. Exactly. Well, sir, I, I wanted to honor your time here just to ask a couple other questions if I could. Sure. Um, so for the listeners who are currently serving, what's some of your advice about career progression? Now, you talked a lot about talent management system and what's coming. What should you think they should be focusing on for the future fights that we're preparing for, not only in the Army, but in joint force? Or career progression should be tagging up their resume or updating their resume for this new talent management system that's coming? Sure. Uh, I'd say the first thing is uh, I spent a long time in the Army and then I'm back in the Army. Uh, when I graduated from West Point, I figured I was a five-year guy. And uh, things worked out. I was a 30-year guy, and now I'm back again. Uh, my first advice would be... Um, uh, it's kind of like what the, I think Don Corleone said in the Godfather movie, you know, never tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking. Yeah. When it comes to your career, keep your options open. If you're thinking about leaving, that's probably for you and your wife to know. But keep your options open. Uh, run through the finish line because you never know. You may think you're leaving today and you may have something happen in your life where you think, no, I'm going to stay. Right. Either you run into a mentor who turns everything around for you. Uh, you get an opportunity you hadn't foreseen. And if you've kind of sent the wrong signals, you may be the guy who, who's building somebody's profile, right? Yeah. You know, so keep your options open, run through the finish line. And uh, I think many, many of our officers will find that, you know, not every day is a parade in the Army, but there's a hell of a lot of good officers out there that 
kept me in the Army uh, when things weren't great that I ran into. And when I was just thinking about it's time to punch out, uh, they changed the whole situation. Operate in, the, in your careers if you're going to run into those people mm-hmm. uh, until you finally make a decision you're going to leave and then you, know, then you go, right? Okay. Yeah. And if you do that, you're going to have opportunity. You're going to have options. Uh, that would be my first uh, maybe guidance. The second is uh, try to put yourself in a place where you never had to work a day in your life. Uh, because coming to work wasn't work, right? Do things you really like. Uh, if you really, really, really want to be a general, we all know there's a that, that that's a course that entails uh, many trade-offs, and and running the army as a general officer is a great honor, and it's vital and it's important. But we have colonels that do vital work. We got lieutenant colonels that do vital work. Everybody in the army has got something to contribute. Do something where you find joy and excitement about doing it. Uh, if you if you haven't found that yet, make the talent management system part of your solution, right, of, of getting in that space. So keep your talent management information updated when it comes your way, right? So if you're in the active Army Officer Corps up to the rank of general, keep that stuff current. Use it. Uh, when it comes to Guard and Reserves, you're going to be a happy camper no matter where your career takes you, which which is kind of important. There's no point in being an American if you can't have a, a happy life. Uh, you go be in one of these other goddamn countries and be miserable, you know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, sir, one, one final question for you. The members of the civil affairs community, dubbed the warrior diplomats, they're very astute, culturally aware. You know, we care about current events, uh, foreign cultures, economies that you care about, infrastructure issues, and we also read a lot. So you mentioned this before. What are some of the book recommendations or reports or things that come across your desk that you're reading about or know about that you could recommend for listeners? Okay, well, I'm probably going to be an oddball here. Uh, I mean, uh, from my military side, there's some books I, I've read probably three and four or five times. Uh, this Kind of War. Uh, I could have told you the author's name about an hour ago, but now I've forgotten it. But it's about the Korean War. Okay. Uh, this kind of war, uh, I think they hand that out at CGSC. It's just a terrific read. It's really well written and just a lot of insights in there about the need to be ready, why rigorous training is important and good, the, the critical role of leadership. Really great book uh, about the U.S. Army at the beginning of the Korean War all the way up through uh, uh, certainly beyond when the Chinese got in. Uh, another one I like uh, is, and probably nobody's ever heard of this book, is On Borrowed Time by a guy named Mosley. And it looks at uh, maybe 1935 or 6 up through the invasion of uh, Poland by the Nazis. Okay. My interest in that is uh, kind of leadership matters and, and the need for kind of tough, frank leaders. The end of the book is like when Churchill steps in, but before that is all the weak sisters that, you know, Chamberlain, Deladier, and and the problems that they brought about. I find those kind of books interesting on the technical side of the business. Uh, I mostly read academic papers, which, you know, your listeners may like just about now be going to sleep. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they usually revolve around uh, some topics. So instead of maybe a, an author or a specific paper, I'd say the things that I find interesting are things to do with uh, decision-making errors. In uh, and, and economics, which is kind of the field I come from and the skills I bring to this job, uh, there's a lot of assumptions. And one is that right. people are rational. Uh, and rational means they don't make systemic mistakes. 
In other words, they don't repeatedly do things that leave themselves worse off. Right, or that uh, are not but, in their interests. Yeah, but they do. Oh, yeah. Uh, and when they do that, economics doesn't work so hot. Yeah. Um, and most of the work I've done and the things we've talked about here actually are in that space. So decision-making errors, uh, missing markets, uh, and time inconsistent behavior. Time inconsistent is like, uh, I'm going to eat a really nice Snickers bar and then I'm going to regret it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the army eats Snickers bars all the time and then it regrets it, right? We pay too much attention to the present mm-hmm. and not enough attention to the future. Uh, and the, the lower you go, kind of the greater the temptation to do that, right? Do we make long term investments in the people we work with? Or do we consume them in the short term, right? Right. If we consume them, they're gone, and the big army pays the bill, Even, you know, at the battalion level, brigade level, division level, right? So we want our battalion, brigade, division commanders not to do that. We don't want them to be time inconsistent because we're going to regret it if we consume people, and we don't invest in them and build them up. Big army certainly regrets it, right? The other, you know, and so like recruiting is one of these spaces. If we don't make the effort when we're walking around to talk to a 13, 14, 15-year-old, the folks that are going to come in the Army, do we really believe they didn't start thinking about the Army until they're 17 or 18? I mean, that's that's a rescue-me situation, right? If they're thinking about us at age 13, 14, they're probably also thinking about five other things they might do, and that's how we compete for talent. Uh, The Army's not real good at talking to 13, 14-year-olds. You don't have to recruit them. You don't have to do anything, but just share, like, why are you an Army guy, right? Right. Um, so people uh, are currently in uniform like myself talking to others about it. Yeah, you know, and there's always a temptation to tell that great war story. So we're not like our best marketeers because, you know, I even do it, right? The coldest day in the Army, you know, nobody wants to hear about the best day in the Army. <laughs> right. Uh, don't make good war stories. Right. Sir, you are the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. We thank you very much for being on this 1CA podcast. Uh, but more importantly, thank you for having served in uniform for 30 years and continuing service to the nation as the ASA MNRA. I really thank you again and and wish you and your family the very best. Hey, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and others, Please remember to subscribe and hit like so the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on www.1capodcast.org. Again, that's www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners in allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. Again, that's www.unomiajournal.com. If you are not a member yet, please visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. 
starting with cadets and midshipmen. Membership is only $10 a year. We then have our basic annual membership at $40 per year and two years at $60, or finally, a three-year membership for only $80. Our most popular and best value option is a lifetime membership at a one-time price of $200. Be a member and don't miss out. 2020 is a big year with transformational changes underway. Lots of new opportunities for members. Don't miss out. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.